All right, you may be seated. It's good to see everybody here today. How's everybody feeling about fall? Are we pro-fall or anti-pro? Pro-fall. All the kids are excited about Halloween. Uh, I am as well. Halloween is a great time to be in New England. Uh, Just fun fact, New England is super obsessed with Halloween compared to the rest of the country, I think. Unless this has just been a shift everywhere. Uh, yeah, it's really next level up here, which, uh, which I actually appreciate. It's a fun time to get to be involved in our communities and see people, see our neighbors that we don't normally see. So hopefully everybody will be able to enjoy either going out and getting some candy tomorrow night or handing out some candy, eating some of your own supply perhaps. Uh, but it'll be a good time. Today here at Byfield, we are returning to the book of 1 Corinthians. For those of you that have been worshiping with us for a while, you know that this is a book that we have been in intermittently for the past several years. Back at the end of May, we left off at the end of chapter 9. So we're going to be returning to 1 Corinthians and we will remain in this book up to Christmas. This is the fourth time that we have spent two to three months moving through Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Much of the letter has been focused on knowledge, faith, and action. At the end of chapter 9, Paul encouraged the Corinthians to run the race of faith that they might obtain the prize. Chapter 10 begins with a transitional four. What Paul is about to say in the verses we are reading today is a continuation of what he has been saying previously. In chapter 9, the focus was on how to go about living out the Christian faith. Paul concluded with positive motivation for doing so. The first part of chapter 10 provides alternative motivation for running the race of faith. So there there are two basic approaches to motivating in any circumstance, right? You can use the carrot or you can depend on the stick. Different situations call for different forms of motivation at your job you may be motivated by the knowledge that if you do well you will get a raise a promotion or at least a pat on the back you might also be motivated by a desire to avoid getting fired yelled at or called in to your boss's office The motivation we will read about in the verses today is more negative. Paul has set aside the carrot. He is using the stick to try to motivate the Corinthians out of their spiritual complacency. If I'm being honest, I prefer positive motivation to negative. I would rather have the promise of a reward than the threat of consequences. Sometimes knowing the consequences is necessary for us to do what we need to do. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. 
These verses hit hard. We should take them seriously. If you were using the Pew Bible, you can turn to page 900, and the verses will also be projected on the screen behind me. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Something I always appreciate about the Bible is it challenges me to understand what is true, not just what I am comfortable with being true. This text challenged my thinking. The first challenge was understanding how the culture of Corinth impacted the people Paul is writing to. The second challenge was to think through how, how Paul's words apply not just to the oddities of the Corinthians, but all Christian life. The final challenge was to figure out what the text is saying about Jesus Christ. I am excited to journey with all of you through the challenges presented by the verses we just read. One of the main problems that Paul is dealing with throughout his first letter to the Corinthians is what they think they know compared with what they actually know. A significant portion, probably a majority of the people that make up the church in Corinth, think of themselves as being enlightened. What they think they know is the source of their security. They believe they are immune to any consequences from God due to what they know and the actions which have resulted. Their belief in their own superiority is a product of multiple factors. One big factor is that many of them believe that they are insiders in a mystery. In ancient Corinth, there were a variety of what was known as mystery religions. Mystery religions, were, they operated separately from what happened at the large pagan temples, small groups of people would get together normally in the middle of the night. They would gather in the forest or some underground cavern. They would do sorts of witchcraft. Once gathered, they would practice these special rituals that were supposed to please the gods or goddesses that the mystery religion sought the favor of. Towards the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century, it became popular in German scholarship to connect the origins of Christianity with heavy influence from these mystery cults. 
if not labeling Christianity itself a mystery cult. While it is not true that Christianity was a mystery cult, it is fair to point out there was confusion between true Christianity and the mystery religions that existed at the time. That certainly seems to be part of what is happening in, Cor in Corinth. Among the many issues in the church there, you have a group of people that interact with their faith as if it is a mystery religion. The basis of these mystery religions was a type of magical thinking. In the ancient mind, magic is to the spiritual realm what science is to the physical. Through magic, you could in some way control spiritual forces. They believed that the divines demanded certain rituals to be done in certain ways as acts of worship. When you did these rites, whatever divinity you worshipped was pleased, when the gods were pleased, they gave you what you wanted. There was a cause and effect relationship between doing a ritual and attaining a desired result. The rituals were a recipe for, for getting whatever god you worshipped, for getting that thing that they had the power to give. If you just followed the formula, you were good to go. The group Paul is addressing within the Corinthian church was exhibiting this sort of magical thinking about the various rituals that were a part of regular Christian worship. Paul highlights both baptism and communion in these verses we just read. The reason he does so is that these are the rituals the Corinthians thought were the basis for getting what they wanted from God. They had been baptized. They regularly took communion. In some of their minds, these rituals were the basis for their salvation. At least a portion of the Corinthian believers thought that the difference between themselves and everyone else was that they had participated in the correct mystery rituals. This meant they were good to go. They were secure. If all that matters is doing the correct magic ritual, then it means nothing else matters. This seems to be how some of the Corinthians think Christianity operates. It is an additional reason they aren't particularly worried about how Christianity affects any other area of their life. Simply participating in the rituals of Jesus Christ does not mean a person is in right standing with Jesus. To make this point, Paul talks about the experiences of the Israelites in the wilderness. As they traveled around in the desert, 
every Israelite was baptized. They didn't stop at a watering hole and get dunked underwater by a priest. They were baptized when they passed through the Red Sea and through being under the cloud. These experiences make the baptism that the Corinthians had experienced seem kind of insignificant by comparison. In addition to being baptized, the Corinthians all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. The manna from heaven and water God provided was an amazing precursor to the communion Jesus initiated at the end of the Gospels. God provided spiritual nourishment that all the Israelites participated in. It is clear that the Corinthians Paul is writing to hold, held these Old Testament events in high esteem. I'm sure they thought, if only I had been there. How amazing would it have been to be in that proximity to God? I think the same thing, it would have been amazing. But Paul points out, nevertheless, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. The point Paul is making is clear. It might have been a little bit hard to follow this argument that Paul is making, but the point is crystal clear. Just being baptized or participating in communion, the ritual elements of Christianity don't set a person right with God any more than the Israelites who traveled through the wilderness were set right with God through their experiences. Religious rituals should not be confused with being in a relationship with God. This is a confusion that still happens frequently today. It seems to be a misunderstanding that humans have an inherent tendency towards. Every human culture that has ever existed has rituals that are intended to satisfy the expectation of God or the gods. Islam has its five pillars, which are professing faith, prayer, alms, fasting, and a pilgrimage to Mecca. In Hinduism, there are the normal rituals, such as prayer and visiting a temple. There are also more unusual practices, which can include walking on burning hot coals or baptizing household idols. Every culture and religion has its own rituals. We live in a culture that is still somewhat Christian in its outlook. It is interesting to me that individuals who seem to have a minimal interest in knowing God personally still want to participate in the rituals they think go along with Christianity. Periodically here at the church, I'll, I'll receive a call from somebody out in the community saying, 
will you baptize my child? And it's a little bit, it's a, it's a weird conversation to have because I'm like, why? Why? What, what does this do for your child, for me, to, for me to baptize your child, and then for you to show no interest in being involved in a meaningful community of faith? Is, what, what are we doing here? And you see this in a variety of ways. For some people, it's attending a Christmas Eve worship service or a mass. It might mean making sure a child does CCD so they can take First Communion. Here at Byfield Parish, we would tend to dismiss these attempts at pleasing God through ritual fulfillment as insufficient. Getting your child baptized doesn't actually require a high level of commitment. Neither does only attending church on Easter. Our expectations as a community are higher. That's great. It's great. It's great we have higher standards. But higher standards alone, they don't mean anything. It just means we, if, if all we have are these standards, it just means that we're trying to satisfy God through the repetition of more challenging rituals. Attending church every Sunday is a ritual for some people. Tithing or even serving regularly can it purely be a ritual as well? We must be aware that we are not immune from the human tendency to interact with God in a ritualistic fashion. Having a higher expectation isn't better when what you're doing doesn't accomplish its intent. It just means you're working harder for a similar result. Paul is not saying that the rituals we are most familiar with, baptism and communion, are bad, or that any of the other things a person who claims to be a Christian does routinely are bad. What Paul is saying is that these actions alone do not restore anyone to right relationship with God. God is not satisfied by people competing, completing a certain ritual. He is not a bureaucrat that is interested in procedural compliance. God is the living creator seeking to repair the relational rupture that exists between himself and the people he loves. God's pleasure in us, our peace with him, comes through a living relationship between God and man. This was a point that God expressed repeatedly through the prophets of the Old Testament and Jesus that Paul is repeating again in today's verses. Multiple times in the Old Testament through the prophets, God called the sacrifices that were made to him a stench. The people of Israel kept up the routine, but their hearts weren't in it. 
Later, Jesus expressed disdain for the religious practices of his day for the same reason. Rituals without a relationship are nothing more than dead religion. The same words might be said. The same actions might be performed, but it is all just noise. In the end, the result is counterproductive. It makes people like the Corinthians think they are in a good place with God when that is not the truth. Communion, baptism, regular worship, and whatever other practices we undertake are not the basis for a relationship with God. This doesn't make the practices themselves unimportant. Quite the contrary, we need to be reminded that a relationship with God is not a mundane thing. Rituals, when undertaken with fully engaged hearts, are a reminder of the extraordinary relationship we enjoy. We worship the living God. The living God has made it possible for us to be in relationship with Him. The rituals of Christianity, especially baptism and communion, explore the mystery that underlies our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In the latter part of verse 4, Paul, talking about the Israelites, says, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. The truth that Paul points out in these verses is not obvious when you go back and read the Old Testament. Multiple times in the Old Testament, the Israelites are in desperate need of water. In Exodus 17, the Lord provides water for the nation through Moses striking a rock. A similar event recurs in Numbers 20. Although this time Moses gets in trouble with God for implying to the people that the provision of water is partially a result of himself. There was a later Jewish tradition which held there was actually a well that miraculously followed the Israelites as they wandered through the desert. Paul seems to have this tradition in mind, but the focus here is not the physical experience of the Israelites or of the Corinthians. Lots of Israelites drank water from the rock in the desert. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Their participation in God's covenant family did not extend past the physical. The same thing is happening within the Corinthian church. There are people that are taking communion and being baptized. They are not having a spiritual experience, though, only a physical one. Jesus Christ is always the basic, fundamental truth 
which nourishes a relationship with God. This was true for the Israelites in the wilderness long before the name of Jesus was ever spoken. They only had a vague hint of Christ who was to come. They didn't know that they were experiencing Jesus in the wilderness. Prophets sent by God told them what what was to be more fully revealed in the future. God indicated what was to come through object lessons. Continuity exists between the nation of Israel, the early church, and Christians today. Jesus is the basis for our faith. Everything else flows from that life-giving fountain. It is easy to confuse the things that are intended to reveal Christ with what it means to actually be in a relationship with God through Christ. We must be wary of this same tendency today. Churches are filled with people who who think the things they do or even the theological commitments they proclaim are the same thing as being in a relationship with Christ. The things we do and say only matter to the extent that they connect us with our Lord and Savior. That is not to say participating in the means by which Jesus has revealed himself is unimportant. The opposite is true. These things are important because they point us back to Christ, just as the rock in the desert pointed the Israelites forward to him. The connection is mysterious, but we are called deeper into the mystery of Jesus Christ. Years ago, I was leading a Bible study at my home for a group of people in their 20s. I don't remember what passage of scripture we were talking about or why it even came up, but one of the participants said something I have remembered ever since. He said, do you ever just wonder what we're doing here? He didn't mean life in general. He meant what we were doing as a group of Christians gathering together to discuss scripture or anything else we do. And that's that's actually a really good question. What are we doing here? Too often we forget what we are actually doing as Christians. The way we exercise our faith becomes habitual acts that we don't connect in meaningful ways to what is actually supposed to be happening. The answer to the question of what we are doing as Christians is mind-blowing. We are communally participating in the life of Jesus Christ. 
through that participation, we have life. What we do in worship, whether through the rituals of communion and baptism, or on a normal Sunday, is a means by which we connect to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Some of the Corinthians have not actually experienced Jesus in a meaningful way. They have no relationship with God. In this passage, Paul is spurring them on by making them aware of the consequences of their approach. Some here today might similarly need to be spurred on. In this room are people that have confused being a Christian with the repetition of some action completely. Others of us have fallen into a routine where we fail to appreciate what we are actually doing here. All of us are guilty of this to some extent or another. Let us cling to Christ through the means he has given us to reveal himself. Jesus Christ is our rock. He is the mystery we are welcome to unravel through the means he has provided. Let's pray. Dear Lord, so often we find comfort in, in routine and in ritual, Lord. And in some ways that's okay, but it's also a challenge for us to remember why we do the things we do, why we've made the commitments we've made, and how you are at work in those things, revealing yourself to us, revealing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Dear Lord, I pray that as a community, Lord, that we would not fall into routine, that we would not be part of communicating to the larger world that what it means to be a Christian is to fulfill a certain responsibility, to practice a certain act in a regular way. But what it means is to be in a relationship with the living God, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you that, that is true, and we pray that we would live that out in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.